1: Welcome in, everybody, to the flagship podcast. I am Chip Brown of Horns247.com, joined by the man in Tuscaloosa, covering the Alabama Crimson Tide, John Talty, Bama247.com. John, it's finally here, Texas, Alabama, future Southeastern Conference mates, but for this weekend a chance for one of these teams to prove to themselves that uh, that they might be uh, a team to be reckoned with for the season. I mean, Bama is every year, my God. What, last year, Alabama had two losses for the first time since 2010? Is that right?
2: Yeah, during the regular season,
1: yeah. I mean, Texas fans would do anything for that. And it just seems like, uh, well, since the – national championship game in 2000, the 2009 season. Uh, everything has gone to the moon for Alabama, and Texas has been out in the desert wandering around. So um, let's, I mean, size it up from your perspective. Texas is coming to Tuscaloosa. What is the level of excitement in Tuscaloosa for this game? And obviously, Alabama coming off, an impressive 56 to 7 win over middle Tennessee in their season opener.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's it's obviously the game of the week. I think, you know, you're going to have college game day in town, six o'clock game. Yeah, I'm sure lots of Texas fans will be there. You're going to have a lot of Alabama fans there. I, I think the tailgating scene is going to be rocking. And I think it's the game that all offseason people were talking about and I think it's in part because with all the quarterback questions it was they've got to have it figured out by the Texas game and so I think the result that was a lot of the attention this offseason like this is such a huge game not fully make or break but you know if you lose this game it certainly makes it kind of a tight wire act the rest of the season given you know the SEC opponents they're going to have to play so there's, there's a lot at stake and there's a lot of connections and overlap, you know, between these two programs, between all of the guys now at Texas who previously were at Alabama, you've got Jalen Milrow, who's a Texas kid, one time Texas commit, who's the likely starter after winning week one. So there's just a lot of interesting kind of storylines around this game beyond just the fact that it's a really important game for both of these programs.
1: Yeah, I mean, let's start with with Jalen Milrow, because that was, you know, there was a lot of you know, intrigue or interest when Saban didn't release a, a depth, the game one depth chart for the first time in 17 years. And he wasn't talking about who his quarterback was going to be. And of course uh, it turns out it was indeed Jalen Milrow, as you said, a, a former commit to the university of Texas. And wow. I mean, he put on a show, talk about his performance, in that win over middle tennessee.
2: Yeah, I mean I think he you know did what you were looking for in that game. He's the first alabama quarterback to have three passing touchdowns and two rushing touchdowns in one game, made no mistake, no major mistakes, no turnovers. I think one of the big question marks heading into uh, this season with Jalen was, you know, whether he could hit the deep ball and ha- he had struggled in his limited opportunities previously. And he, you had two touchdowns for longer than 40 yards, had another touchdown uh, for a little less than 30. So he was able to do some things like that. You uh, made some great plays with his legs. We kind of knew he was able to do that. We knew he was super athletic and him able to scoop up a, a botch snap um, and return it for a touchdown. It kind of speaks to the magical abilities he has at times, but there's still some nitpicky stuff and I think there's, you know, I assume for you too, if Texas against, you know, rice, like you got to take some of a grain of salt, you know, how much can we really infer from what they're able to do against middle Tennessee state versus what they're going to do against Texas. But big picture wise, he did what he had to do to be the guy moving into week two against Texas.
1: Yeah. I mean, talk about how he's carried himself through camp and, and how he's, evolved as a player a leader from from the limited action that we saw from him last year.
2: Yeah, I think he's grown a lot. Again, I think last year we saw him, you know, Texas A&M, Arkansas, the two big ones and You know, it wasn't great as a passer, was super athletic, you know, against Arkansas in particular. I mean, just was doing a lot on the ground. And so you knew at a minimum this guy's going to be effective in that way. But I don't know if we knew what his full passing capabilities were. But I think we saw some of that on display against Middle Tennessee State. And as a leader, I think he's grown a lot, you know, talking to. Seth McLaughlin, their starting center, uh last night, you know, he it's a cliche, but he's like he truly is like the first guy in. Like when I get in there, his car's there and Nick Saban's car are there. You know, so he's one of those guys who's really tried to put in the extra effort, uh, worked with you know, throwing of receivers and stuff in the offseason. And I think he was the kind of the popular pick in that locker room, which does factor when the race is close. And I think he is their highest four option. And I think that's in part why he started against middle Tennessee state. And I think, you know, why he's going to start against Texas is that I think Saban's able to trust him the most out of the main options they have.
1: Yeah. And, and, you know, he he adds a different element to the Alabama offense than what we've seen under Bryce Young under Mac Jones, under Tua uh, Tungavailoa. And so, you know, everyone sort of suspected that bringing in Tommy Reese, that this t- Alabama offense was going to kind of go back to the offense that smash mouthed Texas in that 09 national championship game with, with Mark Ingram and Hightower. And, um, and so talk about the identity of this Alabama offense and maybe how it's changing. Yeah, there's been a lot of talk of
2: that in the offseason. I think it's been a big priority for especially the offensive line talking about wanting to be more physical and wanting to you know, really physically overpower these other programs. I think if there was one of the nitpicky type things coming out of that Alabama middle Tennessee state game is that I don't feel like they really did that. I mean, they were good from a pass protection standpoint, but the smash mouth, we're going to run it down your throat. I mean, they were not able to do that against middle Tennessee state. And so I'm curious to see how that translates in a Texas game where they're going to have an even better front seven. Uh, there's something to be said of you, know, you getting up for a better opponent, but For all the offseason hype and the talk of, you know, they've got three offensive linemen on their starting line who weigh more than 350 pounds. Like you're looking to see them really push around some guys. And I didn't really see that against Middle Tennessee State, but saw more 12 personnel uh, yesterday. Nick Saban talked about how it's probably the best tight end group they've had in terms of both guys who can actually block. And then also, you know, guys who can some, can make an impact in the passing game. Amari Niblack is a guy who's been effective, had a good fall camp, had a touchdown last night. So I think they're trying to be more of that, which is what we expected of Tommy Reese. But I don't know if all it's after one
1: game, I don't think all the pieces are fully formed yet. Yeah, I think Texas and Alabama sort of share that distinction coming out of their their season opener because Texas wasn't, wasn't pushing anyone around uh, in the first half. They kind of got it going in the passing game in the third quarter when they scored on three series and kind of broke that game open against Rice. But the the running game was spotty. The the blocking up front was spotty. So a lot of a lot of uh, game one to game two improvement needed maybe well certainly from the Texas standpoint but no uh, seems
2: very similar to Alabama and it and you wonder sometimes too is how much of it is it keeping it a little vanilla against a rice a middle Tennessee state I mean you I have no doubt Sark's gonna have some some interesting stuff in the in the bag he's gonna pull out against Alabama so you wonder if that's a little bit of the kind of game within the game that you know neither one of them wants to show everything they have but you know Bama's offense definitely lulled for periods and then Kind of ended the second quarter, beginning of the third quarter, they broke it open, had three passing touchdowns, and then that was kind of the end of Jalen Miller's day, and they were able to kind of just ride it out from there. But the for all of the talk of how they're so spoiled at the running backs and offensive line, it wasn't a great great day, from my opinion.
1: Well, let's talk about Alabama's um, cast of running backs. You know, Jace McClellan, uh, Roydell Williams, Richard Young, Justice Haynes, Jamarian Miller, they all got in in the game what uh what stood out who stood out in that in that group
2: i don't know if there was one guy who really blew anybody away um i think there was some there was some issues of pass blocking at the running back position uh there was you know a couple plays where either miller got sacked or got pressured and it was just the running back not picking up the blitzer well enough so i think that's something they're going to have to work out um i to me it feels like and i was talking to somebody after the game about this last night that it's a really good stable of running backs but there's not that one guy that you feel like is the horse that you can just ride you know you think about some of the great alabama running backs that they've had uh derrick henry you know was who won the heisman in 2015 but tj Yeldon, you mentioned mark ingram and all these guys like there doesn't feel like a definitive talent like that on this team. I'm very high on justice Haynes, uh, who is one of the top running back recruits in the country coming out of Buford and Georgia, uh, but he's a freshman. And so like, to me two years from now, he might be that guy, but I don't know that Jace or, you know, or jam Miller or, you know, justice, any of those guys is at that point right now. I feel like they're all solid. They're all good. You know, plenty of, again, we're talking about first world problems here. they are, Lots of programs in the country who would love all of those guys, but just because of how spoiled Alabama has been, I don't know if any of those guys really rise to that
1: level. At least from what we've seen. Well, um, you know, Jalen Milrow's ability to run presents problems. Um, I think back to Texas's game at Arkansas two years ago, and you know, uh, KJ Jefferson ran ten times for like seventy-three yards, but it was it killed Texas. He, he extended drives. He just kept them off balance. Arkansas ended up running for 333 yards in that game. Um, and, and so maybe the compliment of Jalen Milrow with these running backs, you know, it, it adds that, that element, but I do think that this, that is kind of the marquee matchup the, the Alabama offense, Jalen Milroe these running backs, this offensive line against the Texas defensive line, the Texas defensive front. Um, what do you, what do you think about that? And, and what, you know, what stands out to you about this matchup?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think that's definitely one of the, you know, the big ones. I mean, I think there's a, a couple I'll start with that one. I think it's one of the big questions for this alabama team heading into the season if you go back to last year's texas game i think it was a major problem in that game is just the wide receivers inability to get separation and be able to make plays you know i think it was a problem for them last year they had brought in multiple guys from the transfer portal and and just none of them really panned out the way they thought they would and i think that put a lot of pressure on bryce young to make something out of nothing now The great thing about Jalen Miller is that I think he can do that too in a different way. I mean, he's just so athletic and he's able to do things with his legs that if there's nothing there, I think he can really hurt you. But if you can't keep a team, you can't keep a team honest with your passing ability because nobody can get open, then you're just going to see them load up the box more and more. And that makes it even more challenging. So I'm curious to see, you know, who they can get open. There was some, I mean, they're playing middle Tennessee state. So yeah, guys got open last night and that was great. But how many of those guys are able to do that against what I think is a pretty good Texas secondary, you know, that to me is a, a real question. And on the flip side, you know, Alabama's defense looked really good last night, but two of their guys in the secondary who were starters, both got banged up on special teams plays and did not return for the rest of the game. Now, Jalen key, who's a UAB transfer seemed to be moving around pretty well. I was watching him on the sidelines, you know, seems to be okay. He's getting tested today and Malachi Moore looked a little more banged up. Some buzz might be an ankle sprain, but if those two guys are limited or they're not able to play at all, that's a real blow, and I worry about how those backups step in and whether Texas can really exploit that.
1: Yeah, it's going to be interesting because, um, you know, Quinn Ewers, kind of a slow, sluggish start, like I said, got into a rhythm in that third quarter when he uh, was able to – to throw for, well, and he ran for a touchdown in, a, in garbage time, but um, was able to throw for three touchdowns uh, in that game. You know, we think back. Uh, well, let's grab a quick break here on the uh, flagship podcast, talking to John Talty of Bama247.com. Um, we'll be right back. John, one of the weird elements to Texas, Alabama, the last two meetings is Texas's quarterback has been knocked out of the game early. Uh Colt McCoy, of course, how many times have Alabama fans heard? If only Colt McCoy stayed healthy. Um, and then last year, Ewers gets planted on his uh on his shoulder by Dallas um uh Turner. Um, and it's lights out for Quinn Ewers in, in the, uh, you know, late in the first quarter, this uh, you know, this, that's a really quirky element to this, to this series here. Recently, Texas needs to put their quarterbacks in bubble wrap, I guess, um, in this game, but uh, your thoughts on, you know, Quinn Ewers and, and what you saw last year and in the game in Austin.
2: Yeah. I mean, I thought he looked really good. I mean, it's, especially given what we ended up learning about that Alabama team, you know, I don't want to fall into the same thing, but I mean, I do, it does. There's a very real argument. I think you can make that if he wasn't hurt, that Texas would have won that game. You know, we saw Alabama struggled on the road all season last year and they struggled on the road. And that was one of those, it's one of those games that I remember writing about at the time. It was like, either this is a real issue or it's like a, early big game jitters and they'll figure it out and they never figured it out and every road game they had past that they did not look great and they just couldn't figure it out and so i think there's a real argument that they would have lost that game if he didn't get hurt i mean he was lighting them up and i mean it took some bryce young heroics at the end of that game to win so take bryce young out of it but then you move the game to alabama where they've played significantly better and for whatever reason i mean They just couldn't figure it out in the road last year, and they were very good at home. So that's, you know, an advantage, I think, for Alabama in this round. But I was very impressed by what I saw from him last year. Uh, The fact that you had probably the most hyped quarterback prospect in what decades, maybe in Arch Manning. And like you could just see, you know, a lesser guy, you could crumble under the pressure of something like that. And the fact that there wasn't really a major question seemed like he won that competition pretty. Pretty, you know, substantially, I think that that says a lot about him. And um, I'm excited to see what he can do. I mean, I think it's going to be a really fascinating game. And I think he's has the potential to really make a statement on a national level uh, if he's able to beat Alabama next week.
1: Yeah, it's it's another quirky element to this uh, series is that Texas leads the series 7-2-1 and one. Um, the two losses, of course, were the 09 national championship game. and then last year, um, most of Texas's wins happened before like the television was invented. but um, you, you've got uh, you've got this 21 game home winning streak for Alabama and you just mentioned it, Tuscaloosa, the atmosphere, Nick Saban thanking the fans and the great atmosphere in the win. Over Middle Tennessee, what what are what's in store for the Longhorns when they when they hit Tuscaloosa?
2: Yeah, I think it's gonna be rocking. I really do. Um, you know, I think the at times I think that fan base has been a little spoiled just because of how good they've been, and you know, sometimes there's the. You know, I was at the Alabama-Tennessee game last year, and that crowd was one of the best I've ever experienced. And it was in part just because Tennessee had been bad for so long, and them finally beating Alabama, it was just jubilation, you know. And so, But I think in part because of the year they had last year and the fact that, you know, night game, you know, people have all day to hang out and drink and be ready for it. It's a big game. Texas is a big-name opponent. Again, I think Texas fans will show up. I think it's going to be an extremely lively crowd. I think people will be very fired up for this one, and it's, you know, it's the game that they've been thinking about all summer. So I think you'll see a one of the better Alabama crowds um, after there being some issues. And the good thing too, again, about a night game is that you avoid some of the heat issues that that have been a problem, you know, the last. You know, a couple of years for Alabama, they have these early 11 a.m. And I know Texas deals with this too. You have some of these 11 a.m. September games, and it's more than 100 degrees, and people just are passing out and don't want to be there, you know. So, I think that affects the crowd sometimes too, where you're like, I don't want to be at a game like that. Whereas this one, it'll, you know, be probably 75, 80 degrees by six o'clock, and it'll be okay.
1: Yeah. Well, what, um, you know, the line opened. I think it was six and a half. It went to seven pretty quickly after this rice game. Um, And it's seven and a half in some places. So uh, I think uh, Alabama won the first impression test with their opener over middle Tennessee, uh, as opposed to Texas's game against rice. But You know, you mentioned it earlier. You've got this familiarity. Steve Sarkeesian, Jeff Banks, AJ Millie, Kyle Flood, they were all at Alabama. They practiced against Nick Saban's defense every day for two years. Well, and even longer if you go back to when Sarkeesian was an analyst. But um, how do you think that plays into this? Sarkeesian's offensive mind, knowing maybe philosophically what Saban wants to do defensively?
2: Yeah, I love it. I think that's the the game within the game that I think is so fascinating. And I can think back to uh, the first time that uh, Lane Kiffin played uh, Nick Saban uh, when he was at Ole Miss in versus Alabama. And uh, afterwards, Lane told Nick, like, everything that you told me that you hated defending, I tried to do. So <laughs> there's that, you know, you've been around. And so Sark knows what Saban thinks is tough to deal with. And on the flip side, you know, like, Saban knows what Sark might struggle with or certain looks that make it harder for the offense to do what he wants to do. So I think that's, you have two of, I think of the premier minds, you know, and obviously Saban's more accomplished than Sark, but in my opinion, Sark is the best offensive coordinator Saban's had during his, his run, uh, even better than Kiffin. So I think there's a real respect there. They know each other well, they know things that they like to do. And so it's like a chess match, you know, it's the, I think you're gonna do this, so I'm gonna do this instead. But then I think that you think I'm gonna do this. There's all of that trying to figure out, you know, with the tendencies and things that they're gonna do. So that to me is exciting. And you know, you've got some some new guys on the Alabama side. You know, Kevin Steele has been around forever. I don't there's no major changes there, and it's Saban's, you know, defense anyway. But Tommy Reese is an interesting factor, and I think it'll be, you know, for Texas create, you know, some maybe some unique challenges there, even though there's plenty of tape you can watch from Notre Dame days that you're getting a different look than I think what you had previously under Sark and Lane and Mike Loxley and some of the other offensive coordinators
1: they've had. Yeah. And you mentioned Sark maybe being the best offensive coordinator um, that Saban's had uh, elaborate on that. Cause obviously he had some amazing skill talent um, you know, Najee Harris and the, the, all the, for first round receivers, um, but talk about that. What what stood out about Sarkisian?
2: Yeah, I mean, he was he did a great job, and, and I wrote about this in in my Saban book. But you know, when he uh, after that twenty or kind of toward the end of that twenty twenty season, you know, there were a lot there was a lot of interest in him, including Auburn wanting to interview him, and you know they they were going to bump him up pretty good salary wise. And it was also what I was told, kind of intimated to him that you know, if you were willing to stick around for a bit, like you could be the guy to replace Saban down the line. And of course, ultimately he gets the Texas job and you can't turn that down, but he was well liked enough in that building with, and with certain higher enough people that there was a potential path there to, for him to be the Alabama head coach down the line. So to me, that speaks to how well he was regarded. You know, there's, his past is well known. You know, he came into Alabama initially as an analyst at a low point. I think there was a mutual respect, Uh, from him and Saban for Saban giving him another shot for Sark all the work that he put in but he was able to I think he had the best blend of elite X's and O's elite play caller but also very good just as you know player development and just as a coach behind the scenes Kiffin is maybe the best pure play caller that I've seen at Alabama but I mean, he would probably admit it to you himself that he wasn't always the greatest coach. You know, he wasn't always interested maybe in developing some of those, you know, personal relationships, some of that day to day stuff. He wanted to just almost like Madden, just come up with great plays every day. Right. And I think Sark had that same level of elite play calling, but had the other stuff, too, which I think makes him a really good coach. And I mean, that 2020 team, it's you know, it's I don't know how it's going to be remembered in history because of COVID. And it was so weird. But. I mean, that team was just absolutely dominant. And especially on offense, you know, with all the guys, Devonta, Mac Jones, Najee. I mean, they had a lot of talent, but Sark also got the absolute most out of it.
1: So, you know, Sarkisian has said that Saban saved his career by offering him that analyst position when no one else was calling uh, after Sarkisian got fired in, in 2015 at USC. And then... Sarkisian ends up kind of, you know, I think Saban was okay with him taking Kyle Flood and, you know, AJ Milloy was already leaving. So that was, that was no big deal. And we'd heard that maybe he would try and bring Pete Golding too, but that when he took Jeff Banks, Saban was like, okay, that's enough. Um, what, uh, what was your sense of how that played out?
2: Yeah, I think I think you nailed it right there. And it's funny, I can't remember if it was before or after this happened, but there was this great Saban and Belichick HBO like documentary. And he basically talks about that where he's like, you know, you help these guys get jobs elsewhere and you're happy for them, but then they try to take all your best people. And like it's kind of like it's a double whammy where like, I helped put you in a position to get a Texas job. And because you know how we do things here internally and you know who I value, you're trying to take a bunch of those guys on the way out with you. And Kirby, Kirby did the same thing at Georgia. You know, Their defensive coordinator now, Glenn Schumann, was a guy very highly regarded at Alabama. And you know he took him with him. He took Mel Tucker with him. And so it's definitely something that frustrates Saban because it's one of the underrated things, I think, about Saban's brilliance is just how often he has to replenish the ranks when his staffs get rated. And when you talk to people around him, it's gotten harder and harder for him because of guys like Sark and Kirby and Kiffin that they're all hiring the same guys that he wants to hire. And so his circle has kind of gotten smaller because a lot of the guys he would think to hire are getting hired elsewhere. So I think Kyle Flood and Sark are very close. I think he got that one. As you point out, AJ Millway was initially going to Arkansas State with Butch Jones, which I'm sure he's very happy that he did not take that job. Uh, I think he's in a much better position at Texas. But I do think Jeff Banks bothered Saban. Uh, That was the word at the time where he was just like, come on, man. Like You're taking another one of my guys. And I don't know if – you might know this better than I do, Chip. I don't know if Sark and Banks even knew each other ahead of time. But that's also, I think, what bothers him where it's just like – you guys met each other on my staff, and now you're taking them too. Where it's like, I think that is upsetting to him as well. But uh, yeah, plenty of Texas guys uh, who have Alabama roots, and it'll be an interesting, uh, interesting game.
1: It is phenomenal how Saban has to constantly replace coordinators. I mean, people forget Brian Dayball was was at yeah. Alabama with Saban, and. There's Brian Dayball leading the Giants, you know, to a playoff victory last year in the NFL. It's it's been phenomenal. Um, And we probably need to plug your your Saban book. So let's let's make sure we do that. Tell the folks uh, where they can read your book.
2: Yeah, I mean, I wasn't here to plug, but it just I thought it was relevant at the time. Um but yeah, it's called The Leadership Secrets of Nick Saban, how Alabama's coach became the greatest ever. You can buy it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, wherever you uh buy books, but it's basically a look at kind of that like how Saban's been able to not only build but maintain this incredible Organization at Alabama, and you know how some of that stuff is is translatable to outside, you know, football. So there's a lot of cool football stories. There's Sark stories, Kiffin, uh, other guys like that. But there's also stuff in there if you're a business owner or you know a manager of a company, whatever. That there's things that you can take from how Sabin lives his his day to day that could be applicable in in your lifestyle as well.
1: Well, we'll we'll uh, we'll wind it down, but I know um, it's important for. For Texas fans, a uh, couple things for them to keep an eye on as they uh, head to Tuscaloosa. First, players. I mean, I think we know Jalen Milroe and and we mentioned the running backs. But if if Alabama's going to win this game and and have the kind of season they want to have, who are the players who have to uh, deliver for the Tide?
2: Yeah. I mean, so I I mentioned the receivers earlier, you know, Isaiah bond had a great game against middle Tennessee state. He looked, you know, as, as good of any of the wide receivers they had, they need someone to step up. You know, they spread the ball around a lot against middle Tennessee state. I think we're going to see a lot of receiver by committee approach, but they need guys to be able to make plays. So whether that's, uh, Isaiah Bond, you know, Jermaine Burton, Malik Benson. Uh, Ja'Cory Brooks was a guy who was one of the better wide receivers last year, and he was suspended for the first half against Middle Tennessee State, and Saban got mad even getting asked why he was suspended. So who knows what he did to uh, put himself <laughs> in the doghouse. But that's that's a big one. And then go back to what I was saying earlier. Like, keep an eye out Malachi Moore, Jalen Key. Uh, two guys who are banged up. Again, I think there'll probably be an update from Saban on Monday – uh, about where those guys stand, but they both looked very good against Middle Tennessee State, and I felt like there was a noticeable drop off when those guys were out compared to the replacements. So, if Earl Little has to play in place of Malachi more at the star position, I could see Sark just really attacking him and picking him apart. So that that's another you know big one for me. And then you know just what we said earlier: can the offensive line actually deliver? You know, there's so much talent, but can they actually? push texas around you know i've i'm a little skeptical after what we saw against middle tennessee state but certainly the talents there they've got plenty of big boys who can uh throw some weight around
1: yeah this could be a real uh defensive battle maybe take the under um okay before i get your your prediction for the game for fans texas fans heading to tuscaloosa where's the must go place um so that they can tell all their friends, yeah, we went to Alabama and we went to
2: Yeah. So I'll give you I'll give you a couple of quick rundowns here and I'll give you I'll give you Tuscaloosa options and some Birmingham options in case okay. you were flying into Birmingham and staying there. So in Tuscaloosa, Archibald's is the famous rib place, it's a hole in the wall. Uh make sure you go to the one that seems the most remote. That's the one you want to go to. Uh it's one of those places where If you don't get there early enough, they run out of ribs and they're just done for the day. Uh, It's Andy Staples loves it. It, It's a great place to go to. It's worth going to. The other place that I love, I think the best burger in Tuscaloosa is Place Avenue Pub. Um, It's, I think, very, very good. I mean, just great food in general. um, Pretty easy to get to. I think that's a good option. And then you know bars there's a lot in the strip people can go to galette's is one of the famous ones rounders the houndstooth you know there's a couple of different options uh options there and then if you go to birmingham i'll i'll plug my favorite restaurant in birmingham if you like italian there's a place called john marco's uh that's just great italian food but uh, people will definitely enjoy and there's plenty of good barbecue places in birmingham too there's a kind of a little mini chain just in Birmingham called saws um there's I think four or five of them at this point but they're all great so if you're looking for some
1: Birmingham barbecue saws is a good spot nice all right John um how do you see this one playing out
2: so I in my preseason predictions picked Alabama to win I still think that they do I think it's extremely close I just give the we hit on it earlier the 21 game streak. I'm just kind of giving Alabama the benefit of the doubt at home. You know, I think <coughs> excuse me. I think they lose to one of the two Texas schools. I kind of leaned they beat Texas, they lose to A&M cuz A&M's on the road, but I think it's going to be extremely close. It's again, it, it's a statement game for both of these teams. I really think that. I think if Texas wins, Texas is back, talk will be everywhere. If Alabama wins, I think it's the momentum they need to start rolling into the SEC season. So I'm just excited for it. I, it's a game that I've been looking forward to for a while now. And I'm sure Texas fans have, too. There's that that what if, man. If he just hadn't gotten hurt, we could have beaten them and all that. So I'm sure they're
1: ready to see, you know, what a healthy Quinn can do. Yeah. Is there anything else you think is significant to this to this game? Any storylines?
2: No, I think we hit on the majority of them. I mean, I, I think the if you want to go super, super big picture, hot takey, it's the – if either one of these guys loses this game and it starts a trend, what does that mean big picture? You know, if Sark loses three, four games this year, if Saban loses three, four games this year, what does that mean? You know, that, that to me – but that's so far down the line to figure out what it means. But I just think there's – just in Alabama – you know, people are – they're still all in on Saban. Don't get me wrong here. But, you know, missing the playoffs. Like, there, there's going to be that little bit of the – if they can't make the playoff this year is, is, you know, Saban getting too old, all that kind of stuff. And so I could just see the early
1: whispers of that narrative
2: happening if Alabama loses this game.
1: Yeah. It's it's amazing because what he's done – I mean, he's the best, He's as you said. Um, he's the, the GOAT. Uh, no doubt about it i mean who'd have thunk it that he could replace the bear you know exceed the bear's accomplishments right right and it's funny i'm just thinking
2: about it now we didn't even talk about you know Sabin's flirtation with texas you know years ago and so that's just kind of another little factor there of you know there's that whole different sliding doors moment of saban leaves Alabama for Texas and I know you know that story better than anybody but that's just kind of another little interesting wrinkle of man we maybe could have had this guy for the last decade instead he's just beating the world down and winning all those national championships in Tuscaloosa yeah
1: yeah I mean I don't know do you address that in your book briefly it's I feel
2: like it's been I think it's been talked about enough that like I didn't know that there was that much more new that I was going to get uh from that situation the thing that I had in my book that I don't think anybody had written about the time was that around that same time of all the Texas fortation, he was also talking to ESPN about a possible college game day role and thinking about basically, I think he was at that point point in his life where it's, if it's not Alabama, where do I want to be? Right. And so he thought about Texas and all the Jimmy Sexton stuff. And, and then I think, you know, I write about this scene in which he's at the national championship game um, and he's meeting with, higher-ups at ESPN talking about what it would look like if he retired and went to ESPN and ultimately of course he he doesn't go to Texas he doesn't go to ESPN he's still at Alabama he's still winning but that was a real I think interesting moment for him where I think he was not feeling the gratitude in Alabama I think he was feeling the pressure of having to win a national championship every single year unless people freaked out Um, and I think he was just Wondering if that's the life he wanted to uh, to continue living, and ultimately, he did. And uh, it's hard to argue that he made a wrong decision. It's worked out pretty well for him.
1: Okay, real quick, Miss Terry, what is her what is her role? What how visible is she around the program? Is she involved in recruiting these kids as a mother figure? What how how would you describe that?
2: Oh yeah, I mean, you could say she's like the COO of the. Per- if he's the CEO, he, she's the chief operating officer. I mean, she's very heavily involved. I've been told that, like, she, you know, whether she insists on it or just the way it works, like, she's cc'd on most emails that he's getting. You know, like, she's kind of making decisions for him in terms of how he's branded and, and business deals and things like that outside of football. And so. He's, you know, she's been a major reason for her success. I think a lot of college coaches would tell you that if you don't have the right partner, you're not able to devote the insane hours that you need to, to be successful uh, at this level. But, you know, I think one of the big reasons why Nick Saban is still at Alabama is Miss Terry. You know, from everything that I've been told, she didn't love the NFL lifestyle. I think that's in part because... People don't really care about who the head coach's wife is in the NFL, but in the college level, you can kind of be the queen bee of the city. And I think that's who she is. She's, you know, involved in a bunch of charities. She's very visible on game days. You know, she'll she usually, you'll see this chip on Saturday. She's usually in Nick's press conference after games, and she'll be kind of, you know, clapping and yesing and knowing when he's saying certain things. And so she's she's all in. I mean, she's
1: a huge part of. Uh, what he does of Alabama football. And last thing, John, you know, Texas headed to the SEC next year. Um, you know, AM hit the SEC with Johnny Manziel. We, the Netflix documentary reminded everyone that, you know, their first year in the SEC, he goes bananas, wins the Heisman, AM fans are going bonkers. And then it, they sort of, you know, settled into middle of the pack status, which is easy to do. Missouri won two SEC East titles under Gary Pinkle, slid into probably middle to lower uh, pack status. What, it, what? I mean, it's you describe it. What, what's Texas? What are Texas and Oklahoma in for? And you know how critical, you know, having your leadership, coaching, everything buttoned up.
2: Yeah, I mean, the, Chip, the thing that I always come back to and how I explain it is. In order for someone to move up, someone has to move down. And I think that's the challenge of the SEC is that it's not like, especially at the the upper end, it's not like any of those programs aren't doing everything they can to win and aren't investing at the highest level. So the Alabama, Georgia, Tennessee, Florida, even if sometimes they're down, they're trying to put everything possible to power up i mean even a school like arkansas which we consider probably to be toward the bottom end of the sec they're still investing an insane amount of money to try to be good so it's very competitive it's more schools i mean texas is as rich as it gets but there are more schools i think at that texas level where maybe they could kind of money whip people in the big 12 a little easier than i think they can in the sec so i think everyone's excited to see what texas can do personally I think Texas is better set up for an SEC transition than Oklahoma is. Uh, I would be a little concerned as an Oklahoma fan about how that's all going to tr- translate over. But just from the way that it seems like Texas is recruiting at an extremely high level, the talent they already have in place, I think they're going to be able to be competitive, but you know, Texas, you know better than anybody, Chip, Texas has had every advantage for a long time and the results haven't been there. So and they're walking into a harder path. So I, I don't know. I mean, it's, you would think that they, they should be better just based on the, you know, all the investment they have, but it's, it's a hard path. And you know, there's just, it's just a battle every week. I and mean, that's really what it is. It's a battle every week. I didn't even mention LSU. I mean, LSU, every coach wins a national championship if you're LSU. I mean, I just, that's what you got to beat up uh, every
1: year. And it's just, it's just a hard path. Yeah, no, there's no doubt. You have to have, you have to have the leadership buttoned up. You got to have the coach. Um, you got to have the recruiting because the negative recruiting is, is fierce and oh, yeah. everybody's, you know, I think Texas just saw it. They were trying to reel in this kid, Dom, you know, Dominic McKinley from Louisiana. Maybe they were the leader. Then all of a sudden it's, you know, a Oklahoma, LSU, and he picks AM now, you know, signing day, whatever, but is is still a ways away. And as Sark likes to say, it sometimes it gets harder, you know, once they commit to you because then the schools know exactly who they're negative recruiting against. But um, it is, it's, man, it is, uh, it's a cage match every, every week in the SEC. It's going to be exciting. And, and this, uh, this Saturday is going to be exciting. Thanks so much, John, for your time. Um, I know the, uh, the folks listening in and watching in on the Horns 24-7 YouTube channel sure do appreciate it. Uh, take care, and we'll we'll see you Saturday. Can't wait. All right, there he is. John Talty, Bama247.com. For John, I am Chip Brown. Until next time, we'll see you over at Horns247.com. Stay safe and keep the faith.